The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org. Thank you, Rock and Solidarity, for our beautiful opening music. So welcome to our annual Labor Day service. I am Reverend Millie Phillips, a community minister associated with San Francisco UU, and I am joined on the chancel this morning 
by our worship associate, Daniel Jackaway. We hope all of you here or on live stream have an order of service so you can follow along in worship. For those who are joining us on live stream, if you have any issues or problems during the service, please know that someone is monitoring the chat to answer any questions. And a reminder concerning COVID, I know there has been an upsurge again, so if you are fully vaccinated, we are no longer requiring masks to attend our services. However, we do encourage you to wear them when inside, both to protect yourself and those who may be more vulnerable to illness. We thank you so much for caring for each other. And lastly, a hearty thank you to all who are making this service possible. A warm welcome to all of you, and special thanks to our musicians, of course, Rock and Solidarity, San Francisco's Labor Choir, directed by Pat Wynn, and to Mark Sumner, our music director and pianist today. To Jonathan Silk, our AV and sound expert, who I believe is also monitoring chat today. Uh, Chuli Ong and Eric Shackelford on cameras. To Daniel Jackaway, again, for being our worship associate. To Judy Payne for the flowers we have decorating our space today. And to Linda Messner for leading our usher team and Mateus Salazar for helping us function in our building this morning. Today's service is an annual tradition for our congregation. It honors work and those who do it, and the contributions especially of organized labor to advancing social justice. And now let us begin our service with Daniel leading our chalice lighting. Please join in our unison chalice lighting. The words are in the order of service. We light this chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together. And now please rise in body or spirit for hymn number 157, Step by Step the Longest March. The words of this hymn come from the Constitution of the United Mine Workers of America. Good morning, I'm Galen Workman, a member of the Board of Trustees. Last week's announcements was read by trustee Linda Enger, who mentioned that she's been here as a member for 50 years. I confess I am just an amateur by her standards. I've only been a member here for 41 years. But we all have a first moment here. And if this is your first time joining us in person or watching us on live stream, thank you for joining us. If you'd like to receive a copy of our email newsletter, which includes a link to the order of service in the Sunday live stream, you can fill out one of our yellow connection forms. You can fill, file those forms are in the pews in front of you. They're on the welcome table out front. 
and they're also in the order of service on the live stream. The order of service does list events and links to opportunities to connect. Please engage in any and all of them, and I want to call your attention to a few special events. First of all, this afternoon, the Economic Justice Working Group invites you to join them for a presentation of From Wharf Rats to Lords of the Docks, The Life and Times of Harry Bridges, starring Ian Ruskin. The one-person performance will be done at 12.30. It is free, and there'll be a lunch with a nominal cost before it. So please come and join that. And next Sunday at 9.30, Supervisor Dean Preston will speak and take questions at our forum, the Sunday Forum Before Service. The UUSF online auction is only two weeks away, so go today to the website listed in the order of service and list your donation online. If you have any website questions, Gino Fortunato will, cert will certainly help you out. And after church, join us at the auction table in the gallery for laymaking. You can also get your tickets at the same time. All ticket holders will receive a lay at the live auction in the Luau, which is October 15th. The Aloha Ohono auction will be a family-friendly event. And on a personal note, last Saturday, several of us who won a mission mural walk in last year's auction were guided by Luann Schilte and Matt Anderson for a tour of the Mission District where we saw over 100 vibrant pieces of street art in our city. Some of the photos of the adventure were in last, this week's flame. Luann and Matt will be offering another mission mural walk this year in the auction and I do recommend that event. Next, the weekly grief group will start meeting this coming Saturday, September 9th from 10 to 11.30 a.m. in the Faz Room. The group is open to anyone experiencing grief of any kind, which can include, but is not limited to, the death of a loved one, a loss of a relationship, change in personal circumstances, as well as many other ways losses happen in our lives. The group will be facilitated by Bruce Clements, who will be available in the gallery after the service if you have any questions. Also after the service, uh, stop by the social justice table where a representative from the Answer Coalition will be gathering signatures on a petition to st stop the proposed M SFMTA proposal of extending parking meter hours on Sundays from noon to 6 p.m. Supposedly that will be rolled out in the fall and you can stop by and sign a petition to stop that from happening today after service. Also, the UU Unitarian Universal Service Committee asks you to save the date of September 16th, a Saturday. You, they invite you to a special reception with Reverend Mary Catherine Morn, the president of the Unitarian Universalist Service Committee, which will be held here between 4 and 6 p.m. So those are the items I wanted to highlight. But before we greet one another, I want to give a special invitation to those of you on live, uh, YouTube live stream. I want you to be able to say during, when we greet each other here, you say hi to the other people in chat. Maybe say hi and shout out where you're watching from. And now, on in live stream and in person, let's take a moment to greet one another.
Please join in our unison covenant and sung doxology. The words are in the order of service. Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its prayer. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in freedom, and to help one another. I have spent my whole career in what can only be described as cushy tech jobs. They are still jobs with stress, sometimes too much work, and rare 3 a.m. wake-up calls when a system crashes. But overall, the pay and benefits are great, the work environment is flexible and empowering, and I get to learn as technology evolves and changes. But the pandemic has changed a lot. When I graduated a decade ago, it was the height of tech's in-office culture. My first job served three meals a day, there was a gym, happy hour every Friday, the works. As a 22-year-old, I loved this. All that time at the office meant we really got to know and like our coworkers. And not having to pay for meals or go grocery shopping was pretty good at 22. Cynically, companies want us to be friends so that we work together more productively and are less likely to quit. But it does also make the day-to-day -day more fun. At my office in that first job, there were a lot of people in our early 20s, and I'd say that for most of us, work was the center of our social life. If you just moved to San Francisco from college, it's great to have automatic friends. And when you're, meeting, when you're eating all of your meals at work, talking to whoever you happen to sit with, you can make a lot of friends very fast. Of course, the pandemic disrupted all of that. Tech was one of the first industries to shut down offices because most of our actual work was happening on our computers. And now that we've all learned how to work remotely and proven that it doesn't seriously impact productivity, most people aren't coming back to the office, especially not every day. Even employers that still have meals and gyms and free shuttle buses have to beg and threaten their employees to get them to return to the office even three days a week. Tech workers have increasingly chosen the benefits of remote work for some or all of their week over free lunch, work friends, and meetings that don't require staring at a Zoom tile. The reasons are many. Some had hour or more commutes each way that were exhausting and left too little time for the rest of life. Others liked the flexibility to take breaks for kid pickup or exercise during what would normally be the workday. Others thrive in the quiet that is scarcely available in the open plan offices where they packed us into rows upon rows of desks. And some have moved to new regions entirely, 
for family or cost of living or other reasons. And some continue to be COVID cautious or they find working from home to be a life-changing disability accommodation. Honestly, I do kind of miss the old times. Work feels a lot more transactional now and keeping my motivation up can be hard without the engagement created by strong social ties. I started a new job two years ago, and I wouldn't say I've made a single new friend. Lots of acquaintances who I'm happy to chat with at the office, but no one I really expect to have over for dinner. Even when I do go in, most of my meetings are on Zoom with people who are elsewhere. But I do think, in many ways, this is healthier. It wasn't great that I was so socially enmeshed with my employer that leaving that first job was an emotionally agonizing decision. It wasn't great that the highest paying technology jobs with the most impact on the world around us were basically only available to people who were able to live in the San Francisco or New York or Seattle areas. I do miss that feeling of tight community and all of the day-to-day -day fun that I had at my jobs before the pandemic. But ultimately, work is not a family, as far too many people are learning the hard way with layoffs. Letting work play such a central role in our lives was always a deal with some benefits and a lot of costs. So it's probably for the best that that era is behind us. Freedom is coming, freedom is coming. Freedom is coming, oh yes I know.
Thank you again so much for those stirring songs. Please join me in the spirit of meditation and prayer in the many names of that which each of us holds sacred, God of many names or of none. Let us hold in our hearts all within our church community who are grieving, ill, in pain, or dealing with other hardships. Let us also hold in our hearts all who are suffering from the myriad injustices of our time, from climate change disasters, such as one of the deadliest wildfires in our history, destroying the entire town of Lahaina, Maui, killing over 100 people, with some whose fate may never be known for sure or their remains recovered 
and the ongoing threat of hurricanes that may now become part of our West Coast reality too. From never-ending gun violence and racist police brutality to constant physical and legal attacks on our trans siblings. From the continuing war in Ukraine to the latest atrocities against the Palestinians and other marginalized people throughout the world, to name only a few. In the face of injustice, may we stay focused on what could be, growing our power and solidarity, resisting despair and denial. May we find the humility and patience to see ourselves not as saviors, but as workers, each with necessary tasks and worthy of self-care. May we be kind and generous to all who work beside us. May we find solace and even joy with those we love in art and music and worshiping together. May we live conscious of the ultimate value of each sacred moment of life. Amen. Now please join me for a minute of silent contemplation, which will be followed by our offering. Thank you. The offering this morning will benefit SF Jobs with Justice, which is a multiracial coalition um, that supports uh, labor organizing. Uh, it will now be given and gratefully received.
union maid was wise to the tricks of the company spies. She never been fooled by the company stools. She even organized the guys. Always got her way when she struck for higher pay. She'd show her card to the company guard, and this is what she'd say. Oh, you can't scare me. I'm sticking to the Thank you for singing two of my favorite songs celebrating women workers. As with previous Labor Day sermons, let me start by quoting with words from the great labor anthem, Solidarity Forever. They have taken untold millions that they never toiled to earn, but without our brain and muscle, not a single wheel can turn. We can break their haughty power, gain our freedom when we learn that the union makes us strong. It is not just the union movement which has been reviving and gaining a lot of much needed support in the last several years, but also a cultural shift in our attitudes toward work during the pandemic that is causing us to consider what gaining our freedom might look like. Indeed, the rise of labor and the change in our attitudes influence each other, especially among younger workers. Rather than focus primarily on organized labor, this time I am going to discuss work itself. Earlier in the service, Daniel addressed the changes that have occurred in tech industry work culture. And in different ways, depending on the type of job or industry, our beliefs about work are shifting throughout our society. Unions ask, what makes work bearable and gives workers dignity? What is adequate compensation? What benefits and protections do we need? What working conditions will keep us safe and healthy? Yet, unions were not, for the most part, asking this key question any more than the rest of us. What is a good job? Throughout history, people have had to work in one form or another. It's how we get the goods and services we need or want. For this reason, most of us accept that we have to work for our own needs and for the common good. And quite a few of us, though not enough, have gained the privilege to work in jobs we generally want to do. But do we have to work the way we do? How we work is governed by the type of economic and political system we live within. Because all must interact within the system, this is true even if you are self-employed or work in a collectively owned business. It is true for professionals with advanced degrees and for minimum wage service jobs for managers and for entry-level workers new on the job. And even if we question the injustices of our system, as many of us are starting to do as capitalism continues to lead us to the brink of extinction from climate change or nuclear war, or to barbarism at best, few of us, myself included, and I've been a socialist my entire adult life, 
have really questioned the nature of work itself. It is only when we experience major disruptions that most of us start to question what we have taken for granted. The pandemic was just such a disruption. So what did we believe about work before the pandemic? Work is a place one goes to, usually for at least 40 hours a week, often a lot more. In return, you get paid, with pay being tied not to the extent your job meets societal needs, but to the degree of skill or education required or by who typically does your job. For example, work usually done by women or people of color pays less than equivalently skilled jobs done mostly by men or white people. You have a schedule, which may or may not be regular, but you have to be there and on time whenever the schedule says, whether the tasks of the day require that or not. Once there, depending on the type of job, you may have to go to other places, but you don't go home or do other activities until your work hours are completed. While at work, you do whatever tasks you are told to do. Your choices as to how you do these tasks are very limited especially if you are low paid or have little education. While at work, you have no First Amendment rights. If you're not in management or you are a member of a group marginalized or discriminated against, you are expected to express only positive emotions while at work, no matter how badly you are treated or whatever difficulties you are facing off the job. You are required to act as if all change is good, or at least inevitable, like it was God-given, not the decisions of fellow humans with more power. And perhaps above all, with rare exceptions fought for by activists, work is always the priority in life, above the needs of family, health, or anything else you might want to do instead. Sounds pretty awful, right? Not exactly freedom. Of course, the labor movement exists to improve these conditions. It's got us some legally mandated days off, like tomorrow is Labor Day, it's a holiday. Potential opportunities to retire, and the right not to work while we are still children, for example, though all of these, including the children, are at risk and have to be fought for continuously. For those lucky enough to be in a union, we generally have higher pay, better health benefits, and some protections from being fired if we make a mistake or experience an emergency. But, the fact that our income and social benefits are determined not by our needs, but by whether we have a job or not, is itself a fact most of us take for granted, at least as inevitable, if not desirable. So, are any of these aspects of work actually inevitable? The pandemic has challenged them. As Daniel's employers discovered, a lot of work does not require showing up at a workplace. You don't need all that wasteful daily commuting, especially if the work is done mostly on computers. Frequent work from home does have some drawbacks, but it is often easier for parents, students, disabled and neurodivergent people, and elders. At-home workers can often adopt the flexibility they need to pick up kids at school, take care of family members, 
or just take a break. As long as their tasks get done within a certain time frame, few know and even fewer care that they are not spending every second on task or might be doing their work at other times more convenient to them. Plus, except when you are online in a meeting, you can speak, look, and emote however you want. No wonder workers today have become choosy. A good job allows you to take care of yourself and others, physically and emotionally. During the pandemic, it became obvious that the workers most essential to keeping us healthy, educated, safe, and fed, people who usually cannot work from home, are not the ones best paid or treated. We acknowledge that these jobs are essential, and thus that others are not. But essential workers, disproportionately women and people of color, bore the brunt of the pandemic. No wonder we see an upswing in labor organizing and union militancy in the face of such betrayal, especially from lower paid workers. A good job is one that serves real needs, not greed and destruction, and is rewarded appropriately with high pay, good benefits, safe conditions, and societal respect. And we learned that the pandemic could override what we have been taught about the inevitability of the capitalist economy. Like in all previous systems, politics and economics are the result of human decision-making, not some invisible hand. As imperfect as it was, and it was very imperfect, government came through with a very rapidly developed free vaccination program, moratoriums on eviction, and cash assistance and not just for a few months, but for more than two years. Such speed, investment, and legal protections were all things we had been told weren't politically or economically viable until government officials decided they were. To the limited extent they did, we did better than we would have without these decisions. No wonder so many are questioning the self-proclaimed inevitability of capitalism. A good job is one where essential social services are not tied to one's employer. What we found out during the pandemic is that work as we knew it could and should be different. We know what a good job is. It allows you to take care of yourself and others, physically and emotionally. It serves real needs, not greed and destruction, and is a war rewarded appropriately with high pay, good benefits, safe conditions, and societal respect. Whatever it offers, it is not the primary source of essential social services that should be available to all. Let me cite just one anecdotal example of this cultural shift. At my very progressive, labor-based, nonprofit employer, we are in the process of negotiating our next union contract with the Communication Workers Union. Who demanded major improvements? Not me. Despite my now 50 years of socialist and labor activism, I had accepted the basic premises of what work looks like under capitalism. 
I am grateful to be in a job with greater flexibility and more benefits than I am used to. No, it was my youngest co-workers. Unlike me, they haven't spent a lifetime as workaholics guzzling the self-sacrificing Grin and Barrett Protestant work ethic poison that keeps us drunk on despair and keeps capitalism afloat. In the past, my goal as a union activist was to make awful jobs bearable. Their goal is good jobs. And when do we want them? Now. We gain our freedom when we learn that the union makes us strong. And what do we want? Freedom. With this new generation in the workforce, in the unions, in the streets, we are in good hands. And that's something to celebrate this Labor Day. Thank you. And now let's join together. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you again. And now let's join together in singing hymn number 1017, Turn the World Around. The words and music are in your order of service. Building, building a new way. I'm sorry. I don't know why I said that. Sorry about that. <laughs> in our own ways, we are all doing the work of the world. 
tending to others in the hospital or the home, delivering mail, growing food, bringing up groceries, teaching children, fighting fires, troubleshooting tech problems, attempting to resolve disputes fairly and justly, playing music, making visual art, building, cooking, cleaning, repairing, writing, speaking, reporting, ministering, organizing. Our superpower is that nothing gets done without us. So let's go forth collectively, inspired to use this power to create a world where all jobs are good jobs. Amen. And now let's welcome back Rock and Solidarity for our closing music. Hi. Um, in the program, it gave us a different solidarity than we're singing. We're actually singing a song. The words were written by a, 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 one of our singers that, who have passed named Larry Orloff. And it's, it's not solidarity forever, it's his solidarity, or our solidarity. <laughs> Sing a song, we invite you to sing free. R-O-C-K-I-N, solidarity. You're welcome to the chorus, whomever you may be. C-H-O-R-U-S, all genders proud and free. Labor chorus, labor chorus. tunes and some with serious themes. C-H-O-R-U-S, just in your dreams. To learn your part, it starts off hard, but you'll improve, you'll see. 